If you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up to Zephaniah. We're finishing off Zephaniah as we continue in our series looking at the minor prophets. And we'll be in Zephaniah 3, verses 11 to 20, just to the end there. Before we do that, let me pray. Father God, we just thank you for what you have done. Uh, Words fall short of what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose again. So, Father, as we continue to worship you through the opening of your word, God, I pray indeed that you are, uh, that you are glorified, that we praise you and, and praise your name. And, Lord, there's no ability to do this on my own, to make this turn out well, but, God, by your Spirit, by your Spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon to bring glory to your name and joy to the people and salvation to the lost. And amen. Last week, we looked at the call to wait on God, and we were reminded of the waiting and the need to wait for God as God calls us to wait for him in just those few verses, in verses 8 to 10, to keep going in the hope of the salvation that God will bring, to keep waiting But the question that I still have there is, what are the motivations for waiting? Well, why wait? Why wait? Why is it worth waiting? Because waiting is not fun. Who likes waiting? You know, you wait for vacations, you wait for your birthdays, you wait for presents, you wait for... The birth of a child, yes, I see that, yes, the birth of a child. We wait. Waiting is not always fun. It's, well, if you're like me, waiting is just not fun at all. You know, I'm more of a, let's get this done and let's get this done now. Our culture hates to wait. I'm a product of my culture. We're all products of our culture. Don't try and deny it. We all hate waiting to a certain degree, but you really see it in our culture when we look at things like credit and debt, right? All of it is on the rise. And really it just points to this idea that we really hate waiting. Why wait to save the money when I can just charge it and pay for it later? But let's be honest, we don't pay for it later ever. It just keeps coming and coming and you get that nice big TV and then you want the nice new car and then you want the, it just never goes away. So why wait? Why not go and get that thing you want now instead of saving for it or, or waiting for it? You know, it happens in all different areas. It happens with sex. It happens with relationships. It happens all the time. Why wait? What is the motivation behind waiting how about that person who, who's claiming to be a Christian? Life is hard. You have sickness. You have war. You have suffering. There's uh, sex is everywhere. Why stand on what the Bible says? Why wait? Why is it worth waiting? 
God answers that question for us today as we close off in Zephaniah, in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 11 to 20. If you haven't caught on yet, I have a note in the front of my Bible that says this, John 3.16 of the Old Testament is what Zephaniah has been taught and told. I don't even know who said that. I wrote it down there, though. But Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 11 and following, if you have your Bibles, follow along with me, say this. On that day, you should not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have repelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exalted ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in my name, in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall they be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Verse 19, Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. And I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. And I will change their shame into praise and renown uh, renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time when I gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. As we look through this in this first few verses, in verses 11 to 15, we see this amazing thing that God promises to save. He gives a reason to rejoice. God's promises to save give a reason to rejoice. As we continue on in verses 11, on on that day you shall not be put to shame. What day is that? It is the day after the judgment. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because why the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. There is not one person in this room that that doesn't apply to. Because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me, what does God do? He will not put us to shame. And he says how he will do that. Because if there's anything that we've understand is that God is a holy God and he has to deal with sin. If God is not just, he will not deal with sin. But because he is just, he deals with sin. There's not a sin that goes unnoticed by him. We've seen this over and over again in Zephaniah. 
And as God works it out, he says, For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exalted ones. These are the ones that are full of themselves. The ones who think that they can get through life on their own. The ones who say, I don't need a crutch. Those are the proud and the haughty ones. By which I always say to them, what are you talking about you don't need a crutch? I sure need one. That dark secret that you think that nobody knows about. That sin, that act of sin that that you're ashamed of. There will be no shame in the presence of God on that day. Because God has restored favor, he has cleansed and he has sanctified every single, single sinful thing. He has healed all the brokenness on that day. You shall no longer be haughty on my holy mountain, says the Lord. He says, I will remove from your midst. How can this happen? He has removed all of those arrogant people who are rejoicing in their pride. But in verse 12, he says, but I will leave in your midst a people who are completely counter to what is seen here. The people that are full of themselves, the people who aren't trusting in God, the people who think that they can compromise at every corner. They says, I will take all of those people out and I will leave a people who seek refuge in the name of the Lord. And that is how this happens here. Those who then engage in the true worship shall be shall not be put to shame despite their past rebellion because the proud will be removed and the humble and lowly will seek refuge in the name of the Lord. So here Zephaniah is teaching us fundamental truths about a true relationship with the with God what it looks like, having the benefits of, of what we've seen before and the blessings required become uh, to, to, to those who are humble and lowly, who do not proudly seek to distinguish themselves, but they find their true identity in the name of the Lord. I was reminded about this last night with Dr. Haken. We had a great time last night with Dr. Haken as you remind us of those things. But he, he said it a few times. He says, I am not a Baptist. I am foremost a Christian who is a Baptist. His identity is not found in what church he goes to. His identity is found in what Christ has done for him. And those are completely different things. That allows me to go across the street to the church that proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and say, even though we may strongly disagree on a number of issues I can still go out there and I can proclaim God with you. I can still pray for you. And long that God does great things. In verse 13, those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies. See, people who reflect the grace they have received from God in their community are those who do no justice and speak no lies. Those who've experienced the grace of God, there is a change in your life. It's not an option. It happens. We see that in Galatians, echoed in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. The aspect of having the Holy Spirit, what happens when the Holy Spirit indwells in you is your life changes. You are a different person. You are a new creation. You care about different things. You laugh at different things. 
You care for the justice that God cares for. You care about the weak and the marginalized, the widow and the poor. You care about holiness. And you seek after that. Because in Philippians 2 verse 3, it talks about those who know the grace and the character of Christ are to, in humility, count others more significant than ourselves. And goes on to describe how Jesus models that humility for us and makes it available to us through his sacrifice on the cross. The Apostle Paul even says in Colossians that Christ is our life and he provides all the blessings that we, that we see here Zephaniah promising. So united with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we begin to show from the inside out what God has done. The fruit of such radical internal transformation. It becomes of the people who are humble and lowly, who seek refuge in the name of the Lord. So we've got to understand this, that in order to come before the throne of God, there has to be an acknowledgement that I can't do it. That is the only way. That's why it's the broken who come before God. It is the humble and the lowly who seek after him because they think and they know, they know in the depths of their heart that they are broken and are desperately in need of a Savior. And it comes out in their lives. As verse 14 says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. See, the people of Judah come and they, and they, 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 sing, uh, they sing these songs. But if, did you catch that later on? They're not singing first. They're not the first people to sing here in the order of what's going on. They sing because of what God has done. Their their, their action of proclaiming and singing these songs, this commandment, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem, is because of what God has done for them through through ultimately his son, Jesus Christ. Just as we are able to love because God first loved us, we see this in 1 John 4, 19, the Lord rejoices in his people, delights in them, and cares for them. The majesty and the mystery of this passage is heightened when we look at the severity of God's wrath towards his people. What makes this passage so good is when we see in the few chapters, the two chapters before that, God's wrath poured out against sin. Because we, you come face to face with this reality. As fierce as God's wrath is towards sin, so is his love towards those whom he's redeemed. And it's an amazing thing. And that is what causes the people of God to sing aloud and to sing praises of him. God's wrath is so clearly displayed in this book, is it not? But it heightens our sense of wonder at the astonishment of his mercy. Like, why? Because it says right there in verse 11, right? Because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. 
And he continues on. The Lord, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. And he says, with all your heart, with everything about you, you, your mind, your emotions, everything, you sing. Because of what God has done for you, because he sings over you first, because he has reversed the effects of sin, because he has healed your brokenness, he has given you forgiveness from the rebellion that you've done, made it so that we could be made right before God. And the question comes to me is this, is what makes you sing today? with, with the, the, how rough life is, with all of that you encounter this week, what makes you sing today? There are many days that we don't want to sing. There are many days I don't want to sing. But as God reminds me through his word and the work of the Holy Spirit of the grace that I have experienced, I may sing through tears, but I still sing because God is good. Because he has, because there is no more shame. Because he is exalting over me as well. Because of verse 15, the Lord has taken away the judgments. How is that even possible? If God is just, how could he just take away the judgments that I am supposed to have? How is that possible? In Romans three twenty three to 25, it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a, I love this word, a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It is only through Jesus Christ that you can be saved, that you can experience the the, the Lord taking away the judgments that you are due. There are only two ways. We were reminded again about this last night. God's wrath gets poured out in one of two ways. Either on the cross or on you. That's it. So I humble myself before the throne of God. And I say, God, I can't do this on my own. I repent and I believe on what God has done for me. This is what causes me to sing. This is what causes you, this is what causes me to get up in the morning. God is good. He is good all the time. He has cleared away my enemies. And, and, and the king of Israel, it says there at the end of verse 15, the king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. Do you understand how shocking that is? I really struggled with this passage this week. Do you understand how shocking that is to have the holy God in your midst? Because what do you deserve? 
Here God is in your midst. For all those whom he has redeemed, the King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. Think about what I deserve. Think about what we deserve as a people. But since creation, through the patriarchs and the monarchy, God has continually called his people to seek him. This is amazing. This is the gospel. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserve this wrath that we see throughout Zephaniah. But here God is working out a way for us to be in a right relationship with the holy God who created the earth. Like, I can't understand this. My mind cannot comprehend what God has done. Do you understand why then I can sing aloud? It's the only thing I can do. I fall on my feet and I praise God for what he has done through tears, through laughter, through all of their wide range of emotions that God has blessed you with, I sing aloud of the glory of God. Because God sent his son to die for us. God desires to dwell with his people so much that he eventually sent his son to bring, as 1 Peter 1 says, a living hope. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 through his death and his resurrection, that his people might not fear trials, but look with faith towards a future of complete joy in a never-ending relationship with God. God gives reasons to rejoice. Oh, Christian, he has given you reasons to rejoice. Remember what God has done for you. Think about what has happened. I don't think there is a greater reason to sing. Think about all the reasons that you hear every time you go to a church. Oh, man, that was great. I felt the Spirit of God there. Therefore, I sing. Every time you open the Word of God, you should see the, feel the Holy Spirit within you. Like, look at this. Why do I sing? Think about what sin has done, how it has separated us from God. Think about what sin did to creation. Think about how our sin condemns us. But what a joy there is when we think about how, how that has been reversed. What a joy to have our sins forgiven, a lost relationship between us and a holy God restored. Is there any other greater reason to sing? With all of our emotions, we should rejoice and be glad because God has done great things. Think about what Jesus says in Luke 10, verse 20. Nevertheless, he says, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. God's promises, promise doesn't just cause us to rejoice. But his promise to save is also complete. As we see in verses 16 to 20, God's promises to save is complete. In verse 16, on that day, he says again, when judgment is finally complete, God's blessing completely is completely manifested. Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. You know, when you think about when your hands get weak, let not your hands grow weak. It's this idea of um, collapsing. 
You know, when you're, f- you're so afraid. I've been watching some, there's this new, <laughs> there's this new show on uh, Netflix about pranking people. Um, I don't know why I take great joy in people suffering. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's funny. Uh, so they come up with these crazy storylines and crazy ways to scare people. And you're kind of like snickering in the background and, uh, it's got that kid from Stranger Things, who's, which makes it even sicker and twisted. But it's, you know, and you're just laughing at it. So sometimes you see these people and they get so scared that they just collapse. They're, they're just so weary. They're just so tired. And God, God comes, fear not, O Zion. Let your, not your heart, hands grow weak. Why? Again, because of what God has done for you. Because of what we see here, the mighty one who saves is no longer the warrior who brings destruction and judgment, but who comes to save those whom he has redeemed. He is a mighty warrior. So let not your hands grow weak. We are so fickle as people. We forget this daily, hourly, probably like every minute, if you're like me, because I'm dense. I needed to be reminded of this all the time. Because I do grow weak and I do grow weary and I forget and I, am, I do become fearful and that affects how bold I am. It affects how much I, I, I declare the goodness of God. It affects everything about me. But God is the mighty one who saves. And not only is he the mighty one that saves. Okay, this is the th- verse 17. Holy moly. It says this. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. Picture this, okay? Picture it in your mind. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Think about that. So God doesn't just save you. He doesn't just redeem you. And this is the part that I've been struggling with all week. He rejoices over me. I can't comprehend that. I, I don't know how many times I read this through and I stopped and I would just cry. In our world, people don't do this. We don't rejoice over other people. We take time to, 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 to malign people and to be malicious to them. Even in the church we did that. We see that this week, right? There was a famous person that everybody knows. If you don't, you've been in a rock, under a rock somewhere. His name's Kanye West. I took time to listen to his album this week. I read his lyrics and I went, praise be to God. But people took, oh, we'll wait and we'll see. Like, they're so malicious. I'm like, guys, you're the people of God. They saved you. You don't think God can save him? He saved the apostle Paul, who was a murderer. You don't think he can save him? And my hope should be one of hope for that man. Because I pray that he is a seed that is being planted into a deep soil and that his roots just go deep. 
And it looks like, from all appearances, that that's what's happening. Because how do you move from I am God to that there is only one God? Outside of the working of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for what he has done in my own life. But here God is. The Lord God is in your midst. God will both save and celebrate over his own. He will rescue the remnant from their sins and his judgment and will remove all the proud. He does this in a few ways. God once cursed Israel, but now he's rejoicing. Now he's delighting over his people like a bridegroom over his bride. I was just like, what do you think of when you think of God dancing? I was thinking the Irish or Russian jig. Right? If you've ever been, to, or, or, or if you've ever been to the Middle East, and how they, they kind of dance around in a circle, I'm just like, God is there. He, 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 he's, he's, in the, he's in the midst of his people. And you just picture this. You just close your eyes and you just think of, what, like I so often I say, when I get to heaven, there's not going to be a lot of talking, right? Because I'm just going to be so much in awe of what God has done. It's just going to be amazing and, and awesome. But how do, how do I, what's heaven going to be like now when you think about verse 17? Dancing around you. Sounding for so, shouting for joy amongst you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. It's an amazing truth. God shows his grace so deeply within this passage. Not only does he save you, for you who are his, okay? For those who have repented and believed in Jesus Christ, not only has he saved you, he's gone a little bit more. The holy God, creator of this universe, is dancing around you and rejoicing over you. Now, do you see why we sing? Because God has sung over us. It's an amazing thing, and he will quiet you by his love. The former war cry that we saw in chapter 1, verse 14, is now quiet by victory and the loving relationship between God and his people. The Lord's purging and transforming work of grace creates a renewed people who acknowledge his rule and trust in him alone. Do you see God's grace shining through? By his love, and how he dwells with his people, God delights in those whom he has redeemed. I really struggled with this. God delights, he quiets, he bursts to song over you. That is what this verse is saying. God delights in you. To think about the Almighty God sinking into contemplation of love over a once wretched human being can hardly be absorbed by the human mind. It's mind blowing. God is so good. 
This amazing love of God for human beings is inexplicable. Human minds would never dream up of such a God. Humans have never dreamed up of such a God. Human actions or human character could never deserve such love. We're so messed up, people. God's love comes in his quiet absorption because of this, because this is who God is. In the core of his being, God is love. So Zephaniah sings the, the prelude to the cross kind of love that Jesus reveals. A love that surpasses knowledge. Ephesians 3. How can this not cause God's people to praise? Any church that's dead, that doesn't sing praises to God, is not a church that understands what God has done. God has done. They are to rejoice in him because he, their their gracious king and savior, rejoices in them. You know, I was thinking about what does this mean for me if I come to church on a Sunday when I come with the gathering of God's redeemed and I refuse to sing? Because I'm too grumpy. Or because I'm afraid that the person beside me is not going to like my voice. Who cares? I'd rather hear a bunch of off-tune people praising their awesome God than a wonderful choir that I hear of unsaved people singing Bach's Messiah. God is so good. And just as fierce as God's wrath shown in this book, the equal fierceness of his love is shown. And God comes in these next few verses, in verses 18 to 20, he says, I will gather, his pe- I will gather those of you. He says, and then in verse 19, at that time, I will deal, and then I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. And at that time, I will bring you in, and I will make you renowned, and I will restore. You get the point? If you're part of the redeemed, do you see what God has done for you? He's done it all. For the next two verses, the first person verb is repeated and repeated. God initiates and his sovereignty determines the completeness of his saving plan. Only God talks for the rest of this book. You know, this is an odd ending, right? Because you think from reading the beginning of this book that everything is going to be toasts that everything's going to continue to go down there, then God intervenes and he changes everything. All of these things will happen when God does what he promises for his people. We rejoice because of his complete work of salvation. So what? Why do we wait? What is the motivation behind waiting? We look towards the hope of restoration that our King Jesus Christ brings. That is what motivates us to wait. I look at this text and, I, and, and waiting for God brings so much joy as I look forward to what will come for those who wait. As we wait, let us stand fearless. 
Stand fearless before others and persevere in hope because the King of Israel, the Lord our God, is already with us through Jesus. We already should not fear evil or give up. In the death of Christ, God reconciled us who were once his enemies, making us his friends. And if God, to whom every knee will bow, is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or or danger or sword become instruments of grace in the hands of God for the Lord works all things, not some, all things for the good of those who love him. And through all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Stand firm, stand fearless. Second thing is this, celebrate Jesus as the Savior and King. See, Zephaniah portrays God, Yahweh, as the King of Israel, who on the day of the Lord will heal the disabled, gather the outcast, deliver his remnant from evil and oppression, a remnant that will include worshipers from every nation. The third thing is this, delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord who shows his sovereign care for his people by rescuing them. The mighty one is praiseworthy. I can't reiterate this any more than this. In the depths of depression or sorrow or any of the other, let's call them negative emotions, we have to remind ourselves of who God is. We have to be in relationships with other people who will speak into us and slap us across the face if need be and say, is not our God good? Has he not saved you from the pits of hell? Did you not deserve, old worm, to burn up in that fire? Did he not scoop up and pick you up and bring you to his chest? And not only did he do that, does he not rejoice over you? This is not reason to come and to worship him together, to delight in him. We need to remind each other of these things. If you're not in the word of God every day, you're not going to remember I don't care who you are. If you got one of those fancy memories where you can like remember everything you read, which I don't have, and if there's any jealousy in my life, that's one of them. Because <laughs> I actually am one of those people who have to work at things. <laughs> Remind yourself, delight in the Lord. Zephaniah's last words to us point us towards the gospel of grace. God's people can live in freedom, in joy, because of the good news that their judgment has been removed by God's merciful provision and not earned or achieved. In Zephaniah, we see the severity of God's judgment against sin, the passionate wrath that he is willing to pour out, and the fire of his jealousy. Yet as this book closes we see God's equally fierce love 
for his covenant people. He delights over you. He rejoices in you. He loves you. He saves you. In Christ, we ultimately see this great love and provision in flesh and blood. So the charge for you and me is this. If you're not resting in the gospel, if you're not resting in what God has done for you, if you haven't repented and believed in what God has done for you, this has nothing to do with you. I want it to be. Repent and believe. We believe what God has done for you. Sing praise to God who reigns above the God of all creation. The power of the God of power, the God of love, the God of our salvation. He fills my soul with sweet relief and makes me my faithless murmur cease to all praise and glory. Let us sing with joy as we wait for the Lord to do great things. Why? Because he's worth it. He is our Savior and King who will bring salvation and restoration. Let's pray. Father God, we continue to praise you today. Father, remind us in our weakened states of all that you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose again. Father, may you be glorified as we sing these songs. May we leave this place renewed and encouraged that we are a people who have been redeemed, who have a God who just is mighty to save, but is also delighting in us, who loves us. Father, may that come through in all of our actions, in all of our words, as we relate to one another. And amen.